listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Heroes and Underdogs, with a new weekly topic on one or more people who did great things for God. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. One of the greatest things you can do in your life is find somebody who is successful in an area where you want to be successful and follow him, follow her. One of the most significant things you can do if you want to move from where you are to where you want to be, find somebody who is successful in doing what you want to do in becoming who you want to become and follow them. Now, I do not mean, I don't mean imitate them. I don't mean imitate them because there are a lot of cheap imitations out there today. You do not want to become a second-rate version of somebody else. That's not what the objective is. By following somebody, by looking at somebody as a role model for yourself, I'm not saying that you should try to imitate them. They say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. It also can be an insult if you end up being a second-rate imitation That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in order for you to become a first-rate version of yourself, in order for you to become the first-rate version of yourself, you should look for mentors, role models, people who are successful in the ways that you want to be successful. Find somebody, find an individual, in fact, find multiple people because when you follow one individual, what will happen is you'll, find, you'll develop not only the strengths of that individual, but guess what? You'll also tend to develop the weaknesses of that individual. You need to be careful that you're not shallow in your learning from another person because when we get enamored with an individual and we want to follow an individual, what will happen is we will pick up the strengths and if we're not careful, also the weaknesses of that individual. So it's good to have multiples, two, three, four experts in whatever area it is in life where you want to become an expert and then follow them. Not so that you can imitate them and become a second-rate version of them. Am I making myself clear? Especially today with social media. It seems like everybody is an inch deep and a mile wide in social media. Everybody's trying to be like everybody else and nobody has a distinction anymore. Listen, you're going to be the only version of yourself the world will ever see. There will never Never, ever, never, ever be another you. There might be a doppelganger. There might be somebody who looks like you, somebody who talks like you. Maybe somebody's got a similar body style to you. Of course, there's six billion or so people on the planet. There might be a doppelganger, somebody who looks like you, but there will never be another you with the same DNA that you have the same personality that you have, the same kind of an upbringing that led to your personality, the same exercise of your spiritual gifts and your natural talents and your capabilities. You're the only version of you there will ever be, so why don't you just make up your mind to become the best version of yourself, not a cheap imitation. See, one of the, some of the reasons why, one of the reasons why we, we, we seek to be imitators of somebody else is because we're not so confident in who we are. And when we're not confident in who we are, We put on somebody else's skin and we try to imitate somebody else because we think, well, that person's popular. That person is successful, whatever way you might want to define success in whatever area you're looking at. And so what happens is we belittle the person that God made us to be. We end up acting like and imitating somebody else 
to our own detriment, not only to our own detriment, but to the detriment of other people because when we do that, we're depriving other people of the best version of ourselves that we could be. When you squelch, when you thwart, when you allow yourself to be overshadowed by somebody else, you're depriving other people of what you would be blessing them with if you were yourself. And more importantly than that, you're also depriving God. Think about this for a moment. It's a bit of an insult to say to God, you made a mistake. I can't do what whoever else you might be thinking about can do. Or I wish I was like whoever else you might be thinking about. This happens in families all the time where a son might think about another son, his brother or a daughter might think about her brother or a brother might think about a sister and there can be sibling rivalry and before you know it, everybody's trying to be like somebody else and nobody is the best version of themselves. Happens all the time. And you need to understand that God did not make a mistake when he made you. He made you on purpose for a purpose. The ultimate purpose that we're all created for is to give glory to God. But the ways in which we do that can differ. It differs for you than it differs for me. It differs for you than it does for your spouse or for your children or for your coworkers. It differs for a politician than it does for a theologian, even though many politicians are acting like theologians today. And when they do that, I have to say, hold on a second. You're coming into my territory. So if a politician wants to act like a theologian and talk about sex and sexuality and about gender and these things, I'd say, wait a second, I, I, I know a few things about that. Because God, who designed us, says a lot about gender and sex and sexuality, all kinds of stuff. In fact, there's no area of life that God does not speak into. So you need to be careful that you have not passed off the baton of your life and assumed that somebody else can glorify God more than you can. Or that somebody else can be a better version of themselves then you can be of yourself. You need to be very, very careful that you don't try to be or even subtly allow yourself to be a second-rate addition of somebody else. God created you for the purpose of glorifying him. He's given you natural talents. He's given you an aptitude. He's given you a personality. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you resources through your employment. If you work and you get paid for that or you're through with working and you're retired, you have resources that God gave you to glorify him and to honor him and to be the only version of you there will ever be. I don't think we tend to think about that as deeply and as consistently as we really should. There will never be another you. When they put you six feet into the ground or when they take your ashes and sprinkle them wherever... That's it. It's the end of you. So you want to be able to look back at your life and you want to be able to say, I gave God my very best. I gave the people in my life, my circle of influence, my sphere of influence, my very best. You don't want to subtly allow yourself to be influenced by somebody or something else where you end up living for a far shorter, far lower standard than you otherwise would, which is somebody else's standard. We do it all the time. But if you want to be the best version of yourself and you want to improve, you want to become an expert in an area of life, you find somebody who is doing what you want to do, who is living the way you want to live and then you follow them. And that's why I love the Apostle Paul. 
I love the Apostle Paul in regard, in particular, many ways, but in particular, he's one of my heroes. He's an underdog. He should be one of yours too. He should be somebody that you look up to and whom you can learn from, somebody you can learn from because Paul knew about mastering his time. He knew a thing or two about time management. He knew a thing or two about living for God's glory. He understood that life is time and time is life. They are inseparable. Your time is your life. Your time is your life. And your life is your time. They are absolutely, eternally inseparable. You cannot separate your success from your time and your use of time. You cannot separate your life from your time. Think about it. Think about it. Well, my life consists of this. Think about whatever it is. This is my life. Can you separate time from your life? Is there any area of your life that can be separated from time? Time and life They're interchangeable. They are the same thing. And it's amazing how little time we spend thinking about our lives and thinking about, in particular, our ideal day. You will succeed in life if you win your day. If you win your day, you will succeed in life. But so few of us spend time thinking about what is my ideal day? What's my routine look like? What does my daily routine look like? And at this point, you say to yourself, listen, man, I don't want to talk about routines. I get turned off when I hear about somebody talking about a routine. Routines, they restrict me. They're like a straitjacket. I just like being a free spirit and going wherever I can go and doing whatever I want to do. Listen, I'm not talking about restraining you and restricting you, I'm talking about setting you free. You'll never be more free than when you have a daily routine because you need to think about this and get this really deep down into who you are. Today is going to take its place as a tile in the mosaic of your life. You are an artist in the making. You are creating the mosaic of your life. A mosaic is made up of individual tiles, individual pictures. They're small. They're smaller than the whole mosaic. And each one of those tiles, each one of those smaller pictures contributes to the larger picture. Isn't that what a day is? When you think about the decades of your life, that's exactly what it is. And for some of us, the light bulb went on and you said, wow, I never thought about it that way. And this could be part of the problem. If you don't see your life as a mosaic, if you don't see each day of your life as a tile moving toward creating that mosaic, you won't win your day. You won't develop an ideal day, a daily routine. And if you don't develop an ideal day and a daily routine, you're leaving a lot more to Las Vegas than you might otherwise think. You're leaving a lot to chance, a lot to randomness. And this is how, listen, this is how, pay attention to what I think God wants to say to you. This is how we can end up many years down the road in life and look back and say, what just happened? You will succeed in life if you win your day, if you develop routines. What do you do when you get up in the morning? 
What do you do? Before you even get out of bed, I highly recommend, since that's the only day in front of you, tomorrow's not a promise, yesterday's gone, I highly recommend that you dedicate yourself, you rededicate yourself, you rededicate your time, your resources, your energy, and your talents to God before you even get out of bed. Your first waking thoughts, Lord, I give myself to you, kneel there right on your bed. Don't even get out of bed, kneel right on your bed, Lord, help me. Sometimes we can't do that immediately, but come back, before you leave your bedroom, before you start your day, dedicate your day to God and give him your very best. Get into the word of God so that the word of God gets into you. You might say to yourself, well, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. See, that, that's why an ideal day is so important. Your evening routine sets you up for your morning routine. If you're going to bed too late, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get up too late. And you're going to be too fatigued and too tired if you're not drinking enough water. Can you imagine that? What's this pastor doing talking about drinking water? If you eat too late at night, you're going to feel like you're tired and sluggish because your organs are still working overtime in your body while you're sleeping. Your organs need to sleep. They need to rest. They need to get a time of rejuvenation. Your cells are rebuilding. Did you know that? When you sleep, that's when your cells repair themselves especially. But if you're staying up too late and you're not drinking enough water, you're eating too much sugar, you're not eating a good diet, you're not exercising, you're burning out your stress levels through the roof, what's going to happen is you're going to get dis-ease in one way or another. You can get relational disease where there's schisms and difficulties between the husband and the wife, and parents and children, guardians and children, children and children. So your evening routine is very important. You need to determine when am I going to bed? Why are you doing that? So that you can get up at a decent time and spend time with God. At the end of your day, bookend your day, spend the end of your day reading the Bible and reflecting on your day. Looking at a biblical passage, a Bible passage, the last thing before you turn your lights out, confessing sin before God, asking God, Lord, forgive me for things that I might have done that I'm not even aware of. See, all of these things are important because your ideal day sets you up for an ideal life. Your ideal day sets you up for an ideal life. If you win your day, you'll succeed in life. If you neglect your day, if you don't focus on a daily routine, if you don't take prioritization over the time of your life, your life will get away from you. And you could find yourself saying, what just happened? Your years are the accumulation of your days. And this is why I love the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. 515, you want to know what time it is? It's time for Ephesians 515. Here it is. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Making the best use of the time. The best use of the time. Paul understood this. You see, Paul was a guy who was called by God to serve God, to honor God as a church planter, as an apostle, as somebody who would write the majority of the books in the New Testament. He's the one that wrote more of them than anybody else, any individual person. And yet, prison wouldn't stop him. Floggings wouldn't stop him. Persecution wouldn't stop him. I mean, you would think if God called me to plant churches, if God called me to change the world, if God called me to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I've got to be as free as possible. And then Paul ends up in prison on multiple situations. And you know what Paul's attitude was? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where I go. I'm going to continue to be who God called me to be. 
It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter what happens to me. And how many of us, this happens to us, we get a health issue and then what happens? We start questioning God's love for us. We start questioning God's calling for us. Listen, that can happen as a matter of being human, but you need to be able to take captive every thought. You need to take captive those thoughts and recognize, listen, I might be struggling. You've got to be honest with God, so it's good to be honest with God. And I'm saying that as somebody who's a cancer survivor. My mother died of cancer. My father died of cancer. I know about curveballs. Maybe you know about curveballs. It's understandable to wonder what just happened. Maybe you've been married for a number of years and your marriage is not anywhere near where you thought it was going to be and it's not what you were dreaming about when you were gazing into each other's eyes saying, I do. Something other than the I do happened. So it's times where we get curveballs, we get hit over the head and we can get without realizing it's spiritual amnesia and we forget that God has called us to be faithful to him regardless of the consequences. God has called us, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a relational issue, whether it's a financial issue, whether there's a setback. Haven't you noticed that life is what happens to you when you're making other plans? That's why you do need to plan your ideal day so that when the time of testing comes, you know what God's word says. You're putting God's word into practice. You understand that life outside of Eden is very difficult, more difficult than we tend to realize. And in order to navigate through the difficult turf that we're on outside of Eden, you need to know what the Word of God says. So that when difficulties come and hardships come, you can stand your ground. You can stand on God's promises, God's truths. It's okay to doubt. Doubt is not the same as rejecting God. Not the same thing. It's okay to wonder. In fact, the word of God says in 2 Timothy, when we are faithless, he will remain faithful. When we are faithless, he will remain faithful. I'm not talking about doubt. I am talking about going into different territory where you say, well, I'm not going to follow God anymore. I'm not going to worship God anymore. I'm not going to serve God anymore because this happened to me. You don't want to go into that territory. But you better believe that what happens to us in the course of life is, I didn't expect this. It's a curveball. And the traumas in life, the blunt force trauma of a bad diagnosis, financial difficulty, relational schism, all those things, what they can end up doing is they can cause us to forget that God's calling on our life is unchangeable. If anybody understood that, it was the Apostle Paul. Here he is in prison after being called to plant churches. How am I going to succeed? Listen, the objective for Paul was to be faithful to God and he left the consequences to God. So many times we judge our success. Pay attention to this. Please let this sink down. We judge our success in life based on the results. The results are up to God. The faithfulness is up to you. Only God knows how much the seed that you sow for his glory is going to grow and sprout and develop. But it's up to you to be faithful to God. It's up to me to be faithful to God. And one of the ways we're faithful to God by making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil is to reign in your day. Win your day. How do you start your day? What does your day look like when you come home from work? What's your work day wind down look like? When do you start getting ready for bed so that consistently, so that you can live a life of freedom? See, the opposite is many of us are in bondage Financial bondage, relational bondage, health bondage, 
Time crunch bondage. You know why? Because we haven't designed our ideal day. Because we're not making the most use of our time in the midst of evil days. You'll never be more free than when you design your ideal day and you stick by it, you stick to it. When you as a spouse help your spouse design it and stick to it. When you encourage each other, honey, don't eat that. It's way too late. How have you been doing with drinking all that water? Having local honey in your tea. How have you been doing? How's it been going? Encouraging, inspiring, so that your ideal day sets up another ideal day, sets up another ideal day, and before you know it, these tiles end up creating an amazing mosaic in your life. The days are still evil. They're more evil than they've ever been. If you want to succeed in life, you have to develop an ideal day. When you say, I have to, I know we live in such a relativistic society. Don't tell me I have to, I'll do whatever I want to do. You don't have to do any of this. You don't have to do anything. I'm just trying to help you understand that if you want to succeed in life, you've got to stop looking at the years and you've got to start looking at your day. If you take care of your day, the days will take care of the years. And it's amazing how, how, how so many of us created in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation is created, as it says in the book of Genesis, in the image of God like a human being. We're created in the image of God, and yet we spend so little time thinking about how to glorify God in the practical 24-hour time frame of a single day. I highly encourage you to do that. I encourage you to take back your family. I encourage you to take back your business. I encourage you to take back your retirement. Listen, you might be retired, but that doesn't mean that God's done with you. God will be done with you when your heartbeat stops and your brain waves wave their last goodbye. That's when God's done with you. If you still have breath in your body, God's not done with you. You might be retired. Now it's just an opportunity for you to be good for nothing. You understand what I'm saying? where you can be good in the eternal scheme of things. And this is one of the reasons why people don't understand the importance of your day because they don't have a vision of eternity. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. My hero and underdog, your hero and underdog, the Apostle Paul, writing about the judgment seat of Christ. A judgment of rewards for every single believer. If you're a Christ follower, you will be judged. People say Jesus didn't judge. <laughs> Not only did Jesus judge, take the cross for example. Can't explain the cross if that's not a judgment of sin. Not only did Jesus judge, not only is Jesus judging now, but he's also going to judge each and every one of us personally. And this is why it's so ridiculous to be concerned and consumed with the opinions of other people. Because we're not going to appear before the judgment seat of somebody else. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. It's a judgment of rewards for every single believer. It's not a judgment of salvation. The judgment of salvation is found in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life because you rejected Jesus as your Savior, you don't experience the judgment seat of Christ because you won't have rewards. You'll get a punishment which is to be eternally separated from God. Now, I'd be doing you a disservice if I talked about time management and life management and success in life if I didn't talk to you about the eternal scheme of things. Because each of our lives is headed toward 
eventually seeing Jesus Christ face to face. We will be judged in the great, the great white throne judgment if we don't know Jesus as our Savior. And if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life because of what you did with Jesus by rejecting him, you will go into an eternity separated from him. That's the way it works. And if you are saved, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you will face the judgment seat of Christ, which is a judgment not of salvation. It's not a matter of, I can lose my salvation. That's not what it's about. It's about being rewarded now that you're saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For according to the grace of God given to me, the Apostle Paul, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Seems like he's concerned about time and what we do with our lives. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest for the day, he's talking about the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work or the quality each of the work that each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. See, it's not a judgment of salvation. It's a judgment about rewards. He'll be saved, but only as through the fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So your body does matter. What you are eating does matter. What you are drinking does matter. What you are... That's why you should care about states legalizing substances. You should care about that. You say, well, those people aren't believers. Your concern should be not just for yourself. It should also be for other people. Because everybody's headed toward seeing Jesus face to face. Some will see him briefly in the great white throne judgment and then never again. That sounds harsh. Take it up with Jesus. I'm just the messenger. The rest of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we get to see him, and the quality of our works will get judged. Quality of our works will get judged. If what we built is eternally significant in light of what God wants to build, then we get a reward. If what we built is not important in light of what God wanted you to build, then you lose a reward, as through the flames. You won't lose your salvation. But see, the mature follower of Jesus Christ is not just interested in salvation. You're not just interested in salvation. You're interested in maximizing your glory for God. And that's why your ideal day matters. That's why if you want to succeed in giving God the greatest glory in your life, you have to boil it down. You have to reverse engineer it, and you have to think about it one day at a time. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you three words. I want to give you three words, and you should write down each and every one of them, because I'm going to help you. Each one of these three words is going to help you. The first one is replicate. Each one of these words is going to help you design and maintain your ideal day. It's going to help you 
in a tremendously practical way, replicate. You should look back at the past seven days of your life and think, what is it that worked so well that I want to replicate? I want to do it again. You should be evaluating your life and thinking, what worked really well? I had dinner with my spouse, and that was really good. In fact, I actually like my spouse more than I realized. I think I'll do that again. Maybe you said an encouraging word to somebody that really built them up. Maybe you sent a card. Maybe you sent a letter. Maybe you sent an email that was a nice email or a text, and it created tremendous dividends. What is it that you want to do? Maybe you worked out, you exercised, you drank enough water, you drank the correct amount of water. Maybe you did a certain number of push-ups and it was your record number of push-ups. What is it that you did that's really good? How did you maybe testify to Jesus Christ at the workplace or to a neighbor or to a coworker? What is it as you look back, take time in your ideal day to reflect about what just happened this past week? And ask, what was so good, what did I like that was so good that I want to replicate it again? Replicate, replicate. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it works well, replicate. Think, use that God-given mind of yours as somebody created in the image of God to replicate with intentionality. So replicate. The second thing you want to think about is eliminate. You want to eliminate. You want to eliminate. What is it that you want to eliminate? Well, you want to eliminate thoughts that are dishonoring to God. You want to eliminate conversations that are dishonoring to God. You want to eliminate anything and everything that in the eternal scheme of things isn't really important. You want to eliminate bad use of your time. Too much watching television. We talked about in our last time together. Too much surfing the internet. Too much time on a device. Too much time doing whatever it might be. Listen, One of the things I've spent a lot of time contemplating, and it's a little bit frightening, but I encourage you to do the same thing. It'll help motivate you, okay? Go through a little bit of discomfort now for comfort tomorrow. Go through a little bit of discomfort now for comfort tomorrow. Make difficult choices now so that life is easy. If you make easy choices, life's going to be difficult. Do you understand what I'm saying? Allow yourself to go through a little bit of discomfort. One of the things I've done is thought about, uh, what if I'm on my deathbed? And I look back at all of my time and I think of how much time I spent on my phone and if I could get that back, which I know I won't, man, that'll motivate you. What about this? I know nobody has struggled with this. That's a clue that every single one of us has. You might need to eliminate the negative people in your life. Wait a minute, you're in church That sounds unloving. Eliminate the negative people. Yes. You might need to separate yourself from people who are negative and sinful and down, jealous and bitter and gossips and slanderers. And you know who I'm going to turn to as my hero and underdog for the chapter and verse for that? The Apostle Paul. The man who encouraged us to make the most use of the time because the days are evil. He says in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, 
verses 10 and 11, here's what he says. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's in the Bible? It sure is. Have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Well, what does that mean? It means that some people are time wasters. Some people are so negative and so jealous and so bitter and so self-deceived. They're warped and they're sinful. The master of time, the Apostle Paul, who urges us and encourages us to make the most use of the time, is telling us, warn a divisive person once, then warn him or her a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them, which means you could actually be disobeying a clearly written command of Scripture if you warn somebody a third time. Sometimes three times is not a charm. Sometimes three times is disobedient. And one of the things we are so adept at in church, we are so good at it, in the name of love, we are afraid of speaking the truth. Sometimes people need to be told, listen, stop. You're not allowed to do that. We are playing football and you want to play baseball. You're gossiping, you're slandering, you're deceiving, you're libeling. I had somebody tell me on Facebook the other day, I said, could you stop posting a private message them? Please don't message me now on Facebook because I check it about once a month. I private messaged them because of the comments they were making, the libel, written form of slander. That's what libel is. It happens on Facebook all the time. I said, you need to stop doing this. They said, well, I'm going to try, but I can't guarantee I won't do it again. I said, you know, <laughs> think about what you just said. You might not realize this, and this is for another day, but there is no sacrifice in the Old Testament for premeditated sin. There's no sacrifice in the Old Testament for premeditated sin. What does that mean? Don't premeditate your sin and expect Jesus to clean up your junk. Don't say, don't cheapen grace and just say, well, I can't help myself. I might do it again. So you're going to write something in a social media platform knowing ahead of time that what you're going to write is going to go out there and perhaps go ballistic. And you're going to say, I can't help myself. The fact that you know that you can't help yourself means you better help yourself. One of the things we're adept at in church, we love people's sinful behavior. We don't understand Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Warn a divisive person once, warn him or her a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. He doesn't say this is only for those outside the church. He's talking about in the church, outside of the church. There are plenty of people just because they're inside the church, they got carnal, sinful behavior, and they need somebody to do what the Apostle Paul did. They need somebody to do what Paul told Titus to do. They need somebody to say to them, stop it. You are sinning. Divisiveness is sin. And we are so good at it in the church that we let the whole rest of the flock suffer because of one or two bad apples. And you might let that be happening in your own life, in your own family. You might have one individual, a sister-in-law, a brother-in-law, a sister or a brother, or a father or a mother, or a son or a daughter, create tumult and chaos for everybody else because they're divisive. It's not godly to allow divisiveness to continue. It's actually godless. We're commanded in Scripture to treat people who are divisive in a loving way, in a direct way, so the other things don't get compromised, which is the whole rest of the apple cart. And so it's not a godly thing 
it's not a good thing to allow what should be eliminated to continue. Doesn't mean that doesn't justify you to do what the Bible warns against, that you are to hate people because of their divisiveness, that you are to look down your nose at people because they're divisive. We are to love our enemies. Well, how do I do that? That's why you need to get up in the morning and spend time in the Bible. That's why you need to spend the end of your day with the Bible. That's why you need to create your ideal day to make the most use of the time because the days are evil. Because if you don't do that, if you don't spend time in God's word, what could happen, what will happen, I promise you what will happen, you'll become more like the world than you will like the God who created the world. Because things will happen that will get you off track. But by eliminating, it doesn't mean that you necessarily, you cut that person off and you say, never again, never going to see you again. Sometimes you have to do that. And that's not justification for getting a divorce, by the way. It's for another day and another time. Y'all come back now, you hear? But sometimes to eliminate means you need to distance yourself from that person. You need to actually have a loving conversation with them. Don't send them a text, don't send them an email, not effective. You'll find that your courage will go up as you spend time with God. And he'll give you the courage to say what needs to be said. Where you can do what Paul told Titus to do. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Sometimes you need to create some distance and just say, you know, I'd love to spend time with you, but I can't because you've been drinking cesspool water. And the stuff that comes out of your mouth is just toxic. You're talking about other people. You say negative things about other people. You won't forgive. You're jealous. You're bitter. The Bible says a lot about bitterness. Don't let a bitter root grow up among you. It defiles many people. Well, what does that mean? Writer of Hebrews conferring, agreeing with Paul. It's not a good thing. Yes, eliminate. Eliminate what would otherwise derail you. Replicate what needs to be replicated. Eliminate what needs to be eliminated. And then you need to elevate. You need to elevate. You need to think about in your own life, what would you do with the rest of your life from this point forward? Knowing what you now know, living your ideal day, making the best use of your time, what would you do with the rest of your life for God's glory? For God's glory. Listen, this isn't some motivational message where I'm going to leave Jesus out of it. Are you kidding me? What is it that you would do with the rest of your life if you knew that you would absolutely glorify God and not fail? Stop wasting your life. Stop wasting your time. Keep at the forefront of everything you do this idea of the judgment seat of Christ, the idea of a personal accountability before God, a personal accountability before God. We looked at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now we're going to look at it at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 10. For we must all appear, the apostle Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's writing to believers. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That day of reckoning that's spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You need to remember you need to understand that that's where you're headed, that's where I'm headed, and you need to elevate. What would you do with the rest of your life if you knew that you could not fail for God's glory? Get busy glorifying God. I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, look at your ideal day, look at how you've spent your time. Yes, mourn over the poor use of time, but don't sit and sulk. Get over it and get over yourself. 
You know, in the Black Hills of Keystone, South Dakota, two million people visit there every year to see this amazing spectacle. It's amazing. 60 feet high. Four of them, 60 feet high. Sculptures. One is of George Washington. One is of Thomas Jefferson. Another one is of Teddy Roosevelt. And another one is of Abraham Lincoln. Four presidents sculpted in the side of Mount Rushmore. Why were they sculpted there? To help people remember the birth and the growth and the development and the preservation of the United States of America. Each one of those presidents represents either the birth in George Washington, the growth in Thomas Jefferson, the development in Teddy Roosevelt, and the preservation in Abraham Lincoln of the United States of America. Did you know that John Goodson Borglum, the sculptor who oversaw the creation of Mount Rushmore, was 60 years old when the work began 74 years old when he died. The original plan was to have them up to their waists, but John Gutzen Borglum died. His son, who was working on the project, they ended the work, and that was the end of it. John Gutzen Borglum, 60 years old when he began Mount Rushmore. And how many of us understand the beauty of the amazingness of Mount Rushmore? Did you know that John Gutzen Borglum was the son of Danish immigrants? Now, follow me on this, especially today. The son, you mean to tell me that the son of Danish immigrants was so impressed with the miracle of the United States that he he was largely responsible for those four presidents being selected. They wanted to bring in Buffalo Bill and all these other people to be sculpted. It was Gutzen Borglum who said, no, 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 no. I think we ought to keep it to those four presidents. Now, if an immigrant's children could learn the value of the United States of America and embrace the culture and embrace the values to such a degree that now he is immortalized through what he created on Mount Rushmore. Isn't that a great lesson on us for today? People want to come to this country? Come to this country! But understand why you're coming to this country. Understand why you're coming to this country. I'll tell you, his parents must have done something to instill in him the values that made them want to come here in the first place. And you know what? If that's not a story of replication, I don't know what is. You need to elevate your life and think about what should I do with the rest of my life in light of what has happened to me. Put it behind you. Put it to rest. Develop your ideal day. Get yourself into a routine and get yourself going. If John Gutzen Borglum could start Mount Rushmore at the age of 60 and work on it until the time he was 73 when he kicked the bucket, nobody has an excuse. Your best work, your best work is not behind you. It is in front of you if you want it to be so. Your best work is ahead of you. Nobody may pay you for it. You might be good for nothing. You might be retired. But in the eternal scheme of things, you will one day get your reward. 
For the things done in the body, whether good or bad, I say make it for good. Make it for good. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Forget what's behind you. Look at the day that you have today. Schedule what you do in the morning. Schedule what you do in the afternoon. Schedule what you do in the evening. Understand that you can't control everything in your life, but you have far more of a say in what happens to you than you otherwise realize. Of course there are going to be curveballs. Of course there are going to be setbacks. You know what a setback is? A setback is what paves the way for a comeback. Paul still speaks to us today and tells us, redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity, not every other one, every opportunity because the days are evil. Today can be the best day of your life, followed by another one tomorrow, followed by another one after that, and followed by another one. And if you take care of the tiles each day of your life, the mosaic of your life will be amazingly, eternally significant, powerful, and unforgettable in ways that would just never happen if you took every day as a roll of the dice. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.